Welcome to Last First State Radio, featuring interviews with experts in dating, relating, and mating in midlife. And now, here's your host, Sandy Weiner. This is episode number 396 with Paula Peralta. Yes, there is life after divorce. <laughs> I could be, I can attest to that, and so can Paula. <laughs> Hi, everybody. I'm Sandy Weiner. Welcome to Last First Date Radio, where we believe it is never too late for love and that a woman of value naturally attracts the respect and rewards she deserves in life and in love. What is a woman of value? She is someone who knows her worth, and she shows up, stands up, and speaks up. Every week, I bring you a tip on how to become that woman of value. And this week's tip is listen to understand. And it's funny that this came up for you, um, Paula, because I have been teaching this all week. For some reason, now with we're in the middle of the pandemic and people are really isolated. And I think more than ever, we need to connect. And so I've been really teaching women how to listen and reflect when they're hearing the values, uh, what's being said and what's not being said so they can really develop these really intimate conversations with people instead of surface, which is where when most of us go. So this week's challenge is to listen much more deeply, listen to understand. You don't have to be brilliant and come up with something incredible every time you talk to somebody, but if you have the ears to hear and you will have the other person feel seen and heard, which is such a gift. So I hope you can take that on this week. And uh, before I bring Paula on, I just want to give a shout out to my Facebook group, Your Last First Date. We are, I love this group. Um, we have over 3,000 women in there. And it's a positive, wonderful group for people who are dating after 40. Uh, you're either in a relationship or you're single and you want to grow. You want to be the best version of you. So if that's you, come on over to Your Last First Date after you listen to this episode. <laughs> um, so let's, let's talk about Paula. She was, uh, <laughs> she was laid off from a high paying but exhausting job in project management. And then she created a life that she loves and a six-figure income, which is always good not to just have a nice life, but have a life that pays you. And she did that by combining her natural talents with things that were fun for her. She's an empowerment expert. I love that. I'm all about the empowerment. She's also an access consciousness facilitator. We've had many of these facilitators on our show before. She's a brand ambassador, a social media strategist, and a salon owner and celebrity hairstylist in Los Angeles. She believes you can have it all, and I love that. She also, when we're not in a pandemic, travels all over the world. <laughs> she facilitates classes on business and money and creating a life you love and more. She loves helping other people find their true, unique, unique path to happiness and joy. So welcome to the show, Paula. Thank you so much for having me, Sandy. I already, I mean, I, I'm like, what can I say after that, that intro bit about listening <laughs> to understand? So good. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> I saw you nodding and smiling the whole time. <laughs> so, um, it's my pleasure to have you. You have great energy, as I said, as we were opening. And I know that you have been divorced and we're talking about how to find love, date, to, you know, 
get your best life together after divorce. So tell us a little bit about how your life changed after your divorce. Yeah, so I think um, maybe even back up to, to, the, to the choice of, of choosing divorce, really, um, which is, is really a difficult, it can be a difficult conversation. It can be a difficult thing to even really look at and consider. Um, and what's interesting is <clears throat> what I chose going into my divorce is actually what empowered me to create my life after my divorce and even more so when I started dating again. And for me, it was really, it really came down to if I were truly creating my own reality here, what would I be choosing? And so often I know for, for women in general, like we get fed the narrative of what our life is supposed to look like, right? Like from a very young age we're we're sold the fairy tale, like you, you, you know, you grow up and then you, a man rides in on a white horse and then he whisks you away to the castle, right? And everyone lives happily ever after. And it's like, sometimes that happens. And that's really great if, if that's, that's what happens. And also, is that actually what you desire to choose and desire to have and desire to create? And what questions can you ask before, before the white horse comes <laughs> that can actually set you up um, to create like the the fairy tale ending that you're actually looking for like the the ending maybe it's not a fairy tale ending but to create the life that you're actually looking for um and that was for me definitely after <clears throat> after my divorce i started asking those questions really in earnest of like okay cool so what do i actually desire to create as my life and if i weren't listening to the projections and the expectations of the world around me the media my parents um you know my my church whatever that is if i wasn't listening to that and i was like okay what's true for paula and what would paula like to create as her life then that was the foundation the platform that i actually used to start creating and choosing um and where i really started to realize that i can have it all i can have businesses i can travel the world i can have multiple revenue streams i can have incredible relationships with myself with other women with men um, whether they're lovers or whether they're not lovers, whether they're, you know, potential husbands or not, like, you know, whatever that looks like, I can, I can have a life on my terms, um, that is still a contribution to the world around me. Mm. It's a great, it's a great story. And it's a great question to ask yourself. If I were to be creating my own reality here, what would I create? I think very few of us stop to ask that question because we're living a life of someone else's narrative, as you said, and it's so easy to fall into that. Um, and so if somebody's in that, like, like, I don't know how to get out of that. I don't know how to even start finding my reality. What would you tell them? What's a first good step? Yeah, so I definitely think the, I mean, one, the first major step is to acknowledge that you have a capacity to create your own reality and that someone else does, isn't creating it for you. So you have choice, you have total choice. And that is, I think that's like the first step, which it, interestingly enough is kind of the most, the, hard, the hardest step for a lot of people is to acknowledge that you actually have a capacity to choose. In fact, that is your greatest capacity um, is to create your own life. And um, so often we look to other people to create it or, um, you know, to other sources, right? And it's like, you are the source of creation for your life. It's like, even if you can believe that for just like, just a little bit, <laughs> just for a second, believe that. And then from that space, you're like, okay, cool. So if, if it's true that I have a capacity to create my own life, or I can choose to create my own life, then what would I like to choose? And also the other thing that I would say is once you get to that point, it's, 
it's really look at give yourself space to to get it wrong I guess for lack of a better word is like know that you can always make a different choice so if a choice lives you know and if 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 they're only good for 10 seconds and then after that 10 seconds it has an expiration date right that's the expiration date and then after 10 seconds you can either keep choosing that same thing if that's working for you or you can choose something else and that that for me is has been really dynamic in the creation of my life um especially after divorce where i i will start to move towards something and i'll make a choice and then i'll be like oh actually that's not what i desired to create so let me like back up and instead of you know going into the blame the shame the guilt the regret all of that i'm like oh cool like cute not bright let's try this one like i'm going to choose this in this direction and and then as you continue to choose because you are that source of creation as you continue to choose you really start to uncover what it is you desire to create because you know, like you know what's true for you. And so often we're invalidated out of our knowing. And so it's, it's like a muscle. It's like, you know, any, when you go out and move your body, like your, your muscles get better the more you move them. And so it is that muscle of choice and you just keep choosing and you keep choosing and keep choosing. And that's really how we create our lives. <laughs> mm. So I love the forgiveness and the, uh, the, 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 like, like you have to, you have to go somewhere in order to know that it's the wrong direction. Yeah. I think that a lot of people are so afraid of getting it wrong that they don't even start. And so that, that perfectionist stuff has to go out the window and, uh, and it's, uh, yeah, I, I think we have to make these mistakes and we have to just start going and for sure. Yeah. I love that. And it's one of those things too, where I, I always joke that like I am, but for all intents and purposes, like I am a failure by this world. If I were to measure myself by this world standards, like I'm super tall, like I don't have the perfect body type. Like I, my, like I'm ethnically ambiguous. People don't really know what I, like what my heritage is. I dropped out of college. Um, I, you know, I've been laid off multiple times. I, um, you know, I, I got divorced, which again, like by this, by this world standards more often than not is considered a failure. And it's like, if I were to actually take off that definition of failure, it kind of takes the charge off of it. So I'm like, well, I've already failed multiple times and I'm still here. I'm still standing. So like, okay, then I guess it didn't kill me. So let's just keep choosing. So it's like when you can kind of have a little bit of fun and play with that and be like, yep, I failed <laughs> multiple times <laughs> and I'm still creating, then it, it kind of changes the, the energy. It changes the perspective a little bit where you're like, oh, like I guess failure, which is what a lot of times people's biggest fear, like that fear of failure doesn't really, it's not a thing anymore because you've done it and you survived it and you're continuing to choose. So what else is possible? <laughs> right. Yeah, I love that. And having fun with it is great. And, I, and it's, you know, as you're saying, all these failures, supposed failures, to me, you know, when somebody's a seeker, they are going to go down a lot of paths. They are not going to get one job and stay in it for 35 years and stay in one relationship. Usually it's, it's, they are going to really tune in to what's important to them. And in doing so, you're going you're gonna to cause some damage along the way. You're going to probably <laughs> piss off some people. And it's, um, you know, I, I personally admire people who take their own path, who, you know, march to the beat of a different drummer. I, I remember even in high school, I... I, I think I had one of those quotes about marching to the beat of your, you know, a different drummer in my yearbook. It, it's, 
it's always been something I've respected. And I've had a hundred careers, <laughs> you know, many relationships. And, you know, it's, it's, I think that we, we're all on our own path and knowing that we're the chooser. And I love that. Um, we can find what really lights us up. And if anybody's watching the video, you can see that Paula's lit up right now. <laughs> <laughs> Ambiguously I mean, racial Paula. <laughs> you know, ethnically ambiguous subject. Ethically. Um, I like to refer to myself as an ethnically ambiguous beauty. Oh, I, I like, like it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. It's like, what if the purpose of life is to have fun? So it's like, if it's not fun, what are you doing? Yeah, that's, you know, and that's the, and I think that goes to, I love the, that this is, this program's last first date. But it's like, as we go into dating, it's like, if it's not fun, what are you doing? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> are we having fun yet? I have actually ended relationships. Um, I, was, I dated a guy once and I said to him, I'll stay with you as long as it's fun. And when it's not fun anymore, I'm leaving and it became unfun. And I just said, I'm done here. And he was like, but can't we just be friends? And I'm like, you're not my friend. It's not fun. I'm not having fun. Um, so <laughs> I'm with you. I, I just like this too short. Um, yes. So let's talk about relationships ending. Many of them end in trauma and drama. Do you think that they have to end that way? I think again, be at, as everything else, like you have choice and mm -hmm. your choice definitely creates an awareness. So it's like, if you're choosing to go down the trauma and drama route, then yeah, like trauma and drama is going to show up. And also it's like, is it required? My point of view is no, it's not actually required. So even, even when I, I mean, obviously I've, I can only reference my own divorce, but um, when I look at, when I look at the choice to, you know, um, consciously uncouple <laughs> with with my now ex-husband for me it was like I actually didn't desire to make him wrong and I can still acknowledge the greatness that he is and the kindness that he is even though I no longer desire to be married to him and I think that's what happens a lot in relationships is that we go into trauma and drama and wrongness and the like finger pointing and the blame as a reason and justification for the choice so it's like, if you actually could just choose it because you're choosing it, and that's the choice that you're making, the energy's moved, it's no longer fun for you, it's whatever that is, like, it's just not fun. It doesn't mean that you're not fun, you're a terrible person, you're, you know, you, whatever, the money, the sex, the, all the reasons and justifications that we have for ending relationships. It's like, that actually creates the trauma and drama, but there's, there's a little bit of a lie attached to that, because underneath it, the truth is you just, you're choosing it. And if you didn't have to justify it, if you didn't have to make it right or wrong, then you could just choose it and move on and still have an honoring of each other. But it's like you, um, you have to be willing to have that vulnerability with you, which for me is one of the things I talk a lot about with my clients, like the five elements of intimacy, <clears throat> um, which we can come back to. But it's, I get, to get, short answer, no, I don't think that the trauma and drama is required. I think that we've bought the lie that it's required because we need the reason and justifications for our choice. Mm. That's interesting. So we need to justify by being really pissed off and pointing fingers and saying, you're the problem. And, uh, and the, the other problem with that is, is that we get stuck in finger pointing 
at the next in the next relationship because somebody's always going to be wrong and then <laughs> we're wondering why everybody's wrong right? right i don't understand the whole world is wrong i know right and what's that thing like they say like when you're pointing the finger there's like three fingers pointing back yeah, at you exactly <laughs> <laughs> yeah look at those three fingers i know it's it's um it's very easy to blame um but the way we grow is by looking within and saying well you know this isn't working for these reasons and here's how i can grow and you know, that person was in my life and there was love there and, and it's, it's over now. You know, we talk a lot about rejection in my coaching practice because I think that people get really stuck there. Um, I, I was teaching a course yesterday and um, the women in the course were like talking about how I, it's really hard for me to deal with rejection. You know, online dating is a lot of rejection and, and it's like, oh God, it's just, it's like an assault. So uh, what do you, do you have any words of advice about how people can deal with that feeling of rejection? Um, yes, of course. <laughs> so one of the things is a lot of times we make, <clears throat> so for me, a lot of that goes back to making that person or that perceived definition greater than you because it's like if you if you put in order for you to to be rejected or to what we call rejection it's like you have to first have like a judgment in place of like what is good what is not good what is um desirable what's not desirable and then from that space you have to have a projection of like you're projecting that if this person doesn't deem me desirable then that creates like a separation and then that's where the rejection piece comes in meaning like so we attach meaning to it when really it all is stemmed in judgment which is kind of a lie it not kind of which judgment is a lie anyway right so like if you don't choose me then that means this about me and it's like that's actually not true so like, <laughs> you made that up <laughs> and again right going back to like choice is like it's just a choice so just like you have the choice to choose who you'd like to play with or who you'd not like to play with, like that person has the same choice as well. And it doesn't, it doesn't mean anything. And that's where, like, that's where we get stuck and it sticks us as we assign meaning to it because we have that judgment, which often comes, like, we're often entrained from such a young age of like, I kind of joked about it before, like what beauty is or what is desirable or what's not desirable or am I doing this right or am I doing this wrong or, you know, do I use the right fork? What I eat dinner like eat the dinner on my first date or whatever that is right like we're constantly entrained to um to be waiting for rejection which kind of puts us in this like constant defensive state and so a lot of times when um I love that you talked about your coaching practice so a lot of times when I'm um working with my clients like the first thing that I'll say is when you're looking at rejection vulnerability and that willingness to like lower your walls and barriers and and just receive that 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 person is just making a choice. It doesn't really have anything to do with you. It's rarely, if ever, personal when people are like projecting judgments at you. Mm-hmm. And the other thing too is like when you start to go in, and if if for some reason you forget that it's just a choice, and and you're you're receiving that rejection, um, it's like again talking about being stemmed in, in judgment. It's like where can you actually have gratitude for you for that thing? So there's. Um, I'll give, I'll give you an example. So I was, after my divorce, I went on a date uh, with a guy who 
you know, I have a, I have a bubbly, outgoing, gregarious personality. I'm really sassy and funny. And I say most of what comes, you know, to my mind without sometimes or more often than not thinking about it. And I, so we were talking and chatting and it wasn't even, I think we, it wasn't even talking about something controversial. Like it wasn't politics or religion or anything like that. I think it was just like a really, um, you know, some sort of basic social. I can't remember exactly the topic. I should remember this for a better story. But I, I remember then later um, him saying to me, well, I just think you, <laughs> long story short or longer, he said, the thing about the thing where I don't think it will work out with us is because you he basically said that I'm like too opinionated. Like I, um, like I talk too much. Right. So I'm just too, I'm too talkative. It was too much for him. He felt like he had to be on all the time. And it's, it's interesting to me because one, I could go into like the wrongness of you and be like, Oh my gosh, like I need to like not talk so much or I, yeah, you know, yeah, I should yeah. be quiet. And I love being conversational and, and, and I'm not one and I can acknowledge this to myself. Like I can listen to someone else and I, I love to hear what people have to say. So I know that that's true about me. And the irony there is if I wasn't willing to talk as much as I am, like I wouldn't be able to do, we wouldn't be here today, right? Yeah. Like I wouldn't be able to have an entire coaching practice. I wouldn't be able to be a successful hairdresser in Los Angeles if I couldn't talk or carry a conversation or, <laughs> right? So it's like so funny where it becomes laughable now, but had, but in dating, it's like suddenly we often like turn off that, that like knowing where we, mm-hmm. we take everything that that person says and just take it to heart and suddenly make ourselves so wrong. And that's, that's where we get caught up in that rejection piece. So it's like, it's actually not, it doesn't have anything to do with, with me or it has nothing to do with you. He, that was his opinion. Cool. And he, you know, rejected me as a result of it, but I can, he can choose to have that point of view and I'm just can be interesting point of view. Like to me, it's just an interesting point of view. That's one way to look at it, but it's not necessarily true just because that's his opinion. I love that because first of all, you, you didn't take it personally. It's, and you didn't try to change who you were to accommodate him. And I think that's, that's something whoever's listening here, (laughs) please remember, (laughs) do not, do not twist into a pretzel to become something else for somebody else. And we all have done this. I have done it certainly my whole life um, until I did this inner work. And, um, but yeah, it's, it's not only that you, that you were able to not take it personally, but also that you were able to, um, just let it go, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, the word too, by the way, <laughs> whenever somebody says you're too something, it's about them. <laughs> just- uh- just a little hint. Um, you're too sensitive. You're too, you know, you're too sensitive means that I can't say whatever I want to you and have you uh, be okay with it. <laughs> you know, it's like, I want to be able to, to treat you like crap and then have you be fine. Um, but if you're sensitive to that, this means, you know, it's like, I can't, I can't just say whatever I want. Um, so let you, you mentioned before the five elements of intimacy. Uh, let's talk about that. What are they? Yeah, for sure. So <clears throat> the five elements of intimacy, let's see if I can remember them in order <laughs> or just at all. Uh, so it's, it's honor, trust, allowance, uh, gratitude, and vulnerability. So um, those five elements together um, are really what are underneath the energy of what we call intimacy. And I think often when we talk about intimacy, um, 
we go towards, we go automatically to like sex and copulation um, mm -hmm. or like the lead up to that. And what's interesting is when you look at um, that conversation about, um, about like the honor, the trust, the vulnerability, the allowance, um, the gratitude. So really honor, like to honor someone is to hold them in regard, right? So that's it. Mm -hmm. So, I, I mean, we may talk about it as like respect or caring. So it's really just to hold them in, in regard. Gratitude um, really is, I mean, it's just that, like, where can you find gratitude for that person? And for me, it's like in the space of gratitude, judgment cannot exist. So we talked about judgment. We talked about that rejection piece. So it's like, where can you actually be grateful um, for the person. And then with vulnerability, it's that willingness to have your uh, walls and barriers down, the willingness to receive, the willingness to not make it personal, um, all of those different things. And then allowance um, and trust with allowance, really it's, um, you know, having that willingness to, to, like everything is just an interesting point of view. So if you were willing to not make someone wrong or not make someone right or greater than you, right? They have a better opinion than you. They're more, you know, they have a more, they have more value. Um, that's where like that allowance is the people are going to choose what they're going to choose. And um, you can still care for them, even if maybe you wouldn't choose that mm -hmm. <laughs> in a situation. And then um, trust is really just that people, you know, People are going to show up how they're going to show up and they're going to do um, more often than not what works for them. And you can't change people, right? You just have to trust that they're going to be the same yesterday, today, forever. Choose what they're going to be in that, not that they're the same person, but that they're going to just choose what works for them in every moment. Um, and again, it's not personal. So it's like when you look at all of those different components, like that's actually what creates intimate, true intimacy. So, and my point of view with that is that really when you're willing to have intimacy with you first, that's what allows you to have intimacy with other people. So when you're willing to hold yourself in regard, have gratitude for yourself, be vulnerable with yourself, have that allowance um, and have that trust and really have that intimacy with you, it creates a space of possibility that otherwise would not be available in relationship. Mm, beautiful. Um, yeah, I mean, these are, these are so, they're basic and they're so powerful. Yeah. Um, funny, yeah. And, it, and how we, like, somehow we make it so complicated. <laughs> right. And it's really not, but it is important to have these for yourself. And I, and I think that a lot of people walk around without doing the work and then they expect others to, you know, be able to form intimate relationships with them. Um, so let's talk about dating after divorce. You alluded to going on some dates <laughs> with the man who uh, <laughs> told you you talk too much. Uh, right, too can you much. share any tips about dating after divorce, things you've learned on your journey and ways that you think our audience can benefit from? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I would say for me, I really learned the value of asking questions um, and not necessarily questions to the person that I'm on the date with, but questions um, to kind of tap into the energy of what I'm aware of with that person. So some of my favorite questions to ask, um, which is, this is funny that it came up, is will it be fun? Will it be easy? Will they be grateful? Will I learn something? So that's really like those questions. And it's, it doesn't always have like a cognitive answer to it. 
Um, sometimes you're like, yes, this person is fun. They make me laugh or, you know, whatever that looks like. But for me, I often will ask those questions before I even go on a date. Like if we have a conversation and I'm like, okay, so we've had one conversation. If I continue with this person, like, will it be fun? Will it be easy? Will, you know, um, will they be grateful? And will I learn something? Cause again, that gratitude component is so, so important in alleviating the judgment, um, that often comes up in dating. Mm. And that's where, um, when you play with that, like it's, and it, it can really change the game, like where you're willing to have gratitude for yourself and gratitude for the people. And you don't have to be in relationship with them in order to have gratitude, right? Like I'm grateful for you. And we just met. Mm. So that's right. you know, there's like <laughs> that, um, that can exist out, even though there's not like a significant, I'm going to say component to the relationship. Um, so that's the thing that I've learned the most is like, ask questions and follow your knowing. Like so often we have, we just, we have that, like, I guess it's the gut feeling is the closest thing that we're like talking that we can talk about in the world. Like when you just know that it's not quite right, or it's just not exactly what you're looking for, like that, follow that. It's okay to, to tell someone like, Hey, you know what? I'm just actually like really not interested. And again, just like we talked about in divorce, it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to, you don't have to have a reason and justification. You can just say like, I'm not feeling it. And thank you so much for being willing to, you know, take me on a date or talk to me or whatever that looks like. Um, it's just like being willing to, to follow your knowing and have your own back harder than anyone else. For me, that's been like the biggest thing with dating. And yes, you can talk about etiquette and are they, do they hold the door open or, you know, all the, the whole projections and expectations thing is a whole nother conversation. But I think for me, the biggest piece of advice that I give for people is, excuse me, is what do you know? Like, what do you know? And follow your knowing, follow your awareness. Yeah, that's really good advice because women in particular tend to ignore their knowing <laughs> much more than men. I find that men trust their knowing. They just go with the gut and women are like, well, I don't know, kind of like him, but not really. But I think I can change that. And like oh you gosh. said before, we can't change that. <laughs> and it's um, and it, it, it doesn't have to be full of judgment. This is what keeps coming up over and over from this conversation is like, it's just not a good fit. You know, and that's what I say to my clients too. It's like, that's not a bad person. You're not bad for not being attractive to this person. It's just not the right fit. And when it is, it's easy. It's fun. It's, you know, it's all the things that you say. And, and I love that you bring in where you learn something because I personally know that I need to be inspired that way. I can't be the teacher and not be learning. You know, it has to be mutual. You have to both be gaining from each other in order for it to really thrive, right? Yeah, no, for sure. And that's the same. I love to be intellectually stimulated. And the other thing too is um, if, so for me, like the, will I learn something also is like, will I learn something about myself and what I like in people or what I don't like or what, you know, so it's yes, like, please engage me. But I will tell you that nine times out of 10, like first, if I don't get past, if it won't be fun, then I don't go. Like that's the first thing, but it's like, if you get a no on any of those questions, like, will it be fun? Will it be easy? And it's not easy. Like, you know, I think people say easy and it's often used again as like a, a, a promiscuity reference, but it's like, yeah. not that it's more just like, will it be ease? Like, is the conversation, you know, flowing? Is it, 
you know, is it just like easy to make plans to communicate like those kinds of things. And that's, of course, like sometimes you have to learn how people communicate and all those things, but it's more just in general overarching. Is there an energy of ease associated with interacting with this person? Um, you know, and then will they be grateful and will I learn something is like, it's like, if you get no's to those questions, like that's pretty much your, your knowing ticking you off to maybe keep <laughs> right. moving keep swiping keep going to whatever the bar is keep asking your friends to set you up whatever that looks like for you yeah that's good advice I mean I think you know even in texting on an app right away you can see if a person has gratitude you can see if a person is more fun than another person or is interested in following through like there are a lot of people who just kind of start a conversation and then disappear and and then they come back a week later and it's like uh, there's no traction here this isn't flowing this isn't easy yeah. and yeah and then like why work so hard why are we working so hard to like we're going up a hill right <laughs> um are you doing any virtual dating at this time I am. So it's funny too, especially because right now we're, it's, it's love in the times of COVID-19. Um, and it's interesting because we can't, we obviously can't physically meet up. So it's, it's been really interesting to see the people that are interested in like actual conversation or video chats or right there, the ones that are actually willing to show up, it's now pretty obvious, mm -hmm. right? Because it, it's, it gives you, you, you've got that, it's like the ultimate litmus test, right? A global pandemic of like knowing whether or not someone is actually willing to do the work because I know you have probably nothing better to do. Like, I know you've got downtime right now because you're living at home, you're right. right. So, or you're, you're at home, you're, um, what we're, we call it, we've been jokingly calling it sparkling isolation, quarantine. You're in quarantine. So, you know, it's like, you're in quarantine. I know that like, if you can't make time now, to, to message back to have a conversation that's right probably a, probably a tip to how it's going to be in the relationship very true I, I think you know it's like I don't know do you have any free time I've been joking around with with men like well I'm, I'm I don't know I'll have to look and see if I have so many plans on Sunday <laughs> uh, I have to cancel a few to make some time for you like really I mean, I'm working full time because I've always worked at home and it's not a big difference for me. I've always worked virtually. So Zoom was never um, a big adjustment for me. But I think it does present so many wonderful opportunities for us to really get to know people. We have sex off the table. There's no physical contact. And now how do we create intimacy? So, you know, your five tips go with intimacy on a virtual date, too. <laughs> For sure. Right? It'll, work, it's it'll work everywhere. Yeah. Um, so Paula, um, do you have any final words of advice for someone who wants to go on their last first date? Be you. I think that's my <laughs> final word of advice. Just be you. Like, you know what's true for you and follow your awareness. And, and someone, you know, the other thing I would say about relationship is I like to call it creationship, right? So if you're choosing to do relationship with someone, um, really like having them in your life should create 20 times or more even greater than you could create on your own. 
So if they're not, if they're not bringing a create creative generative energy into your life and that can show up however, like, you know, it can show up in terms of you being motivated or you creating more money or you just having more joy, more fun, like whatever that is in your life, like that we should, that's my word of advice is look for creationship, look for someone that's actually going to contribute to your life and empower you to create greater and that you're going to do the same for them. And that's, mm-hmm. that really is, um, whether it's, you know, for a date or for a hundred years that you're going to spend together as partners, um, look for that creationship and, and, and have that intimacy with you. I love that. Well, this is a great conversation uh, and you don't talk too much for me. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Um, I love to just be you. I mean, and, and, it, and crazy, but again, that's like simple and so hard so hard for so many but the more you trust your knowing the more you're going to have that amazing life and leaving the wrong relationship helps to create that space to have the right relationship come in and so it may feel like it takes courage and you're afraid and what's out there and I remember when I left my marriage after 23 years I didn't know what was going to be on the other side I didn't have any guarantees like we just don't I mean most people are not leaving to go into another relationship. They're leaving to reclaim themselves. They're leaving to have the life that they're meant to have. And to me, that's the best motivation. And along the way, you do these things to really refine who you are, which attracts the right job, the right people, the right life. And that's an amazing thing. So you're the living embodiment of that, Paula. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, I appreciate, I appreciate, you know, hearing your story and how you became this person after you left your marriage. And um, I hope that it inspires our audience to follow their own bliss and really follow their path. Um, So Paula, tell, tell us how we can find you and if you have anything to gift to our audience. Yes. So you can find me at paulaperalta.com is my website. Um, and if you head over there, I will, um, I'm at, it's at the ready. Um, I have a couple of little video series that I would love to gift to your listeners. And um, I'll, I'm, I'm excited to join your, your Facebook group. Oh, so yay. I'll, pro- I'll be popping into there and meeting all the ladies. I oh, love it. Awesome. Um, so yeah, you can find me paulaperalta.com. I'm on Facebook as well, Paula Peralta. Uh, it's P-E-R-A-L-T-A. And then you can find me on Facebook, um, or sorry, on Instagram, Hair by Paula Peralta. It's mostly my hair stuff, but occasionally I'll pop in if I'm doing a class that I feel like um, people would really enjoy. I'll, I'll pop in a class graphic or do a little daily little motivation in my stories. So yeah, please feel free to connect. Um, and you can always email me at paula at paulaperalta.com if you have more questions or if you'd like to book a session, whatever that looks like for you. Awesome. Well, people can certainly use hairdressing tips right now. Right. <laughs> people are freaking out. <laughs> We've always been a do-it-yourself family. And years ago, when, um, when I was still married, my husband was working as a, he was, we were doing a TV show and taping it at Universal Studios in Florida. And I was working full time on the show and then coming home and taking care of my kids. And there was no time for haircuts for anything. And that was when I started cutting my kids hair and my son now cuts his own hair. And I, I've been dyeing my own hair at home. So I've been doing that for probably 10 years. (laughs) Again, I've been preparing for quarantine for 
a long time. <laughs> anyway, um, thank you so much. And, um, you know, and, and uh, stay healthy. <laughs> yes, for sure. Same to you. Yes, thank they you say. so much for having me, Sandy. Uh, it's a pleasure. Thank you for doing this work in the world. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, if you love our show, please rate and review us wherever you listen to your podcasts. And I hope you go on your last first date very soon. Have a great day. Bye.